Hello and welcome to the TTI Distribution Download, the podcast where we talk about all things happening in the world of electronic components with the specialists of TTI. And now, your host for the TTI Distribution Download, Paula Renfro. Hey everyone, thanks for plugging in today to the TTI Distribution Download and our conversation set in the world of connectors. Today we'll be taking a look at the performance and forecast of the world connector industry with special guest Ron Bishop, founder of Bishop and Associates and the creator of the Bishop Report, and Steve Brohoski, my friend, colleague, and connector specialist here at TTI. Thanks for joining us today, gentlemen. Thank you, Paula. Pleasure. Steve, can I ask you to kick us off today with a little bit about your career in connectors and thereby maybe proving that you're qualified to introduce the industry acclaim, Mr. Bishop? Wow, that's quite an introduction. And yes, I'd be more than happy to share with you my experiences, Paula, and really happy to, to be part of this t- event today and to, to work with, with Ron Bishop and to hear more from him because he certainly is one of the leading experts in this industry. But in terms of my experience, I've been in the connector industry for over 30 years, most of it with a connector manufacturer. And so I've seen a lot over the last 30 years or so. Uh, I've worked for one large connector manufacturer that allowed me the opportunity to see things from a lot of different perspectives. Had the opportunity while I worked for them to be involved with TTI, to get to know TTI as a a company and as a culture. And so I joined TTI about four years ago. And in my role today, I'm a connector business development manager. So I I work a lot with connector suppliers, always looking to see what the future holds with respect to our relationship with them and how we can grow together. And in doing so, you're trying to get a sense of the pulse on the industry and you look to experts for that helpful information. And Ron Bishop is one of those individuals who's renowned in this industry. And I've been reading his reports for years now and I'm delighted to introduce Ron to to the podcast today. And Ron, would you mind uh, sharing with us how you got involved in the connector industry? Hi, Steve. First of all, it's, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. And I've been working with TTI for years. I think we're one of the first contributors to articles for MarketEye. So that's probably been 20 years or so. And from a pretty modest beginning with MarketEye, it's now become one of the premier information sources for electronic components and especially for electronic connectors. So I'm privileged to be here. I'm very pleased to be talking to your subscribers for MarketEye and looking forward to this conversation. How I got into connectors. I try to decide whether it was by accident or by just luck. In all of our lives, there are those life-altering moments. You know, in your personal life, maybe it's when you got married. Certainly, you went from being single to a couple. And when you have a child, those are definitely life-altering events. And you recognize those, you know that they are. It's the same thing in your professional life. That big promotion, new position with a new company, Maybe you started a business. You right. You know that that's a, a life altering, and it's a it's a watershed moment in your life. Sometimes you take a path that you don't recognize that it really was life altering until much later, and that's the case with me in getting into the connector business. I was a consultant with a large accounting firm downtown Chicago, and a receptionist sent a call to my phone from Molex. Molex had a project and a problem that they wanted solved. I made an appointment to come out and meet with Molex. And after I hung up, I walked around the office, and I kid you not, I asked people, what's a connector? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, in defense of myself, in defense of myself, that was 1975. And that was kind of the horse and buggy era of the electronics industry. 
Yeah, remember the big computers and the and the big uh, room with environmentally controlled, and the computer back in the room was as big as a uh, a truck. Right, so much air conditioning. Oh, exactly, and you had to have a badge to be able to get into it. That was that was the horse and buggy days of beginning of the computer industry and the electronics industry. You know, the wild technology then was uh, the fax machine. I don't know if you guys were involved, but you used to have a room for the fax machine. You had to you had to sign a pad to get something faxed out or, or receive a fax back in. There was no internet. There was no laptops. None of that. So I had no idea what a connector was. After I had a meeting with Molex, I spent the next four years consulting with Molex. And then I spent four more years working for them. And then I worked a couple of years with Amphenol Corporation and decided in 1985 to incorporate Bishop and Associates. So for, I guess that's like 38 years now, for the next 38 years, I've been trying to tell people what a connector is. <laughs> and, and you've done a very good job of it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Was it luck or, or do you think it was an accident that I got involved? I would say perhaps a little of both, yeah. But it's certainly, you know, that receptionist, I, I don't remember who she was, but I wish I could find out because I'd like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with her and explain to her how that her decision to send the call to me instead of someone else was such a life-altering decision. So started Bishop and Associates. And I've been trying to explain what a connector is ever since. <laughs> you know, Ron, I think there's a, a lot of us out here that identify with your story as we go back to the beginnings because there were so few of us. Exactly. I used to say my colleagues and I, we were kind of writing our own tickets in the beginning because so little was known and the industry was evolving so fast. That's for sure. And uh, it took me up when I started Bishop and Associates and then it gradually became successful. I suddenly realized that was a watershed moment. And I'm sure you've, Pamela, you've had them too. You had those moments when you went and you can look back and go, wow, that put me on a path. How many folks work at Bishop and Associates, Ron? We have approximately 20 people at Bishop and Associates. And uh, most of those folks are come out of the industry. Um, I hire people that have a lot of uh, connector industry experience. And, uh, you know, some of the people are like Linda Nolan, director of databases. And Bob Holt, who came out of uh, AMP, and then uh, I remember Bob. I used to work. I, I used to work with Bob back in Northern California in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a techie. He for sure is. Ellen Bishop and Associates. It's what well, we have. We have databases that go back to nineteen eighty. We separate all of our data by country, region of the world, market sectors, products, and individual companies. And we produce about 12 or 15 research reports a year. And then we publish the Bishop Report. And our tagline for the Bishop Report, it's our monthly newsletter. Our tagline is performance and forecast of the connector industry. June was our 368th monthly edition. How many subscribers do you have, Drone, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, we've got uh, probably 150 connector companies and uh, uh, probably about 1,000 subscribers. It's an it's an expensive report, so and and we well you we should be very proud of it. Number one, and, yeah, and, and and probably we have like for example, Amphenol is a corporate subscriber. We only have one or two people that we actually send the the report to, but they have a corporate subscription, 
And so they send it to hundreds of people within Amphenol. So I would imagine thousands of people read the Bishop Report, many of whom we don't know. And for those people who are, are maybe not as familiar with industry reports, can you tell us a little about your methodology when you say we have 150 supplier, manufacturer, subscribers? Do they share their data with you? Is that how, how it works? We explain every month what happened in the connector industry because we have connector companies that share their bookings and their billings by region of the world every month. And uh, the number of companies that supply that data to us counts for about 40% of the world's connector demand. So if you know anything about sample sizes, this is way beyond sample sizes. We have companies reporting to us that are large international companies. We have companies that are private that report to us. We have folks from Japan and almost every region of the world. But like, for example, uh, we don't have any uh, Chinese companies that report to us, but we have uh, North American and European companies that have big businesses in China, and they share their, their China data with us. So we know what's going on always every month in terms of how orders are doing and how sales are doing, and by region of the world. Terrific. Well, hey, Ron, if you don't mind, let's kind of pivot and get a sense from you as to how the industry is looking right now, at least through the first half of 2023, and and any insights you can uh, relate to us relative to uh, to what you're seeing out there. We we get data from connector companies, so we're not guessing. Whenever we write the Bishop report and we talk, we tell people how the business is. Right now, the connector business is lethargic, and it's not bad. But we came in in the first half. With sales down minus 1.1 percent, you know if you if you go back to 2000 when we had uh, the dot com bubble burst, we had two years in a row of declining sales that were like 18 percent and 8 percent back to back years. It was horrible. So whenever you have a year that's flat or or lethargic, that's not bad. The connector industry generally doesn't have two years of, of uh, down sales in a row. So here's where we are in the first half. We're minus 1.1% sales worldwide. And we're up in North America and Europe, low single digits, like uh, 2.8% in North America and 3.4% in Europe. China, Japan, and Asia Pacific are the three regions where we've, for the last 20 years, have really gotten industry growth. Uh, they're down. Uh, and China's down 5%, and Asia Pacific is down 8 So basically, in the first half of this year, we're flat. And billings have been down single digits for now for uh, six consecutive months. But just a little bit. Thank God for that. Yeah. So orders. Orders is the big story right now. If we're going to start seeing growth in the industry, we need to see orders pick up. Because in the first half of the year, New orders coming in are down minus 14%. And you say, how can how can we only be down 1.1% in orders and sales, but orders are down 14%? And that's because we've been using up backlog. We've, we've been about 10 consecutive months where the book-to-bill ratio has been below one, which means we're shipping backlog. We're shipping more uh, than the, we're getting taken orders in. And so, like Japan, orders, first half, minus 21%. China, minus 20%. Asia Pacific, minus 
So, you know, North America and Europe have done better. So that makes the year-to-date bookings down uh, 14%. Hey, Ron, are there, are there any end markets that are driving that up or down? Do you, do you have a sense of what's causing that? Yes, I do. Yes, we do. Just to finish that thought, uh, Steve, is that to be able to have bookings down 14% and sales down only one, we've used up $4.4 billion worth of backlog. Wow. When this started, our backlog in the industry was $26 billion. And uh, now it's $22 billion. So we need to see orders start to pick up. And we think we think it's going to in the second half. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Okay. Uh, yes. So the first half, what markets are doing well and which ones are doing poorly? Computers, peripherals. Computers are down 16%. And peripherals are down 16%. Medical, which hardly ever is down. Medical is down 6.5%. And uh, instrumentation is down nine. Uh, the markets that are doing well is automotive and mill arrow and transportation. Automotive is and transportation make up almost 40% of the total market. And those are doing well. Well, it's good that the diversity in the market to allow for that. And we could talk about it at some point in future reference relative to the proliferation across industry segments. But what you just described there mirrors our business very well. So I, I have a sense of that. When do you expect, I guess may ask it this way. What do you envision for the balance of this year? When do you think the bubble will move through the system to allow for the the, uh, the reorder points to, to kick in so that the backlog could uh, achieve a level to allow for growth both in bookings and in billings? There are a couple of rules in forecasting, Steve. <laughs> Here we go. The, the, first rule, <laughs> the first rule is if you don't have to forecast, don't do it. What, do, I, do I wish I had that advice back in 1990? If it's in your pay plan. <laughs> you know, and, and there's no merit badges for for, bad, for forecasting, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, all forecasts are wrong. Mm-hmm. Every forecast you've ever seen is wrong. Uh, if you know, if 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 you could have accurate forecasts all the time, you we wouldn't be doing this. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the the important factor is really how wrong is the forecast. And uh, we're pretty good at short term forecasts. And as it goes out three or four or five years. You can't predict that. And Comple- completely understand. You, you don't. You have things like pandemics and other catastrophes or things. Yeah, that can come exactly, play. exactly. We do have uh, databases on how the industry performed by region of the world that goes back to 1980. So we probably can accurately forecast the industry better than most because we can see what history has done before, and sometimes history does repeat itself. So we watch and look very carefully at, at industry history. So. We're not, and there's a, there's another rule about forecasting. If you do have to forecast, forecast often. We're not proud to, to admit that we've we've screwed it up. Uh, we've missed something, uh, and our forecast is wrong. So we forecast two big forecasts a year, big reports. We forecast by region of the world, and we forecast by end use market. But we update those forecasts every month in the Bishop report. Sometimes we don't need to update them because our forecasts are really right on. But sometimes you get it wrong. And when we do, we put new forecasts in the Bishop report and we tell people what's happening and why it was wrong. And I I, I look at the semiconductor industry a lot because semiconductors are so important to overall electronics. And the SIA uh presents data on the semiconductor industry. They only forecast twice a year. And and sometimes, you know, you're out two months after their forecast came out and it's really wrong. 
and they don't update it. And I wish they would. So if anybody from the SIA is listening, update your forecasts more often. <laughs> you got to you got to own it, and you got to change, and you got to change your thinking. Hey, Ron, do you subscribe to the notion that the semiconductor industry is uh, a leading indicator for the connector industry? Yes, semiconductor industry leads the connector industry, and by a quarter, two quarters, how how far would you say that? Generally, it's a couple of months. Generally, it's a couple of months. That's we found out. We used to do econometric forecasting. Uh, we developed big mathematical models to forecast. Uh, we use semiconductors in those models. And by doing that, we did learn it's a couple of months, la uh, connectors lag by a couple of months. And right now, it's very interesting. The connectors have outperformed monthly, have outperformed semis for about the last 10 months. And semis right now, at halfway point, are down 21%. That's ugly. I mean, but semis, are, you know, are really, it's consumer. It's, you know, that's it's the laptops and the cell phones and, uh, it, it, and a lot of uh, consumer electronics use semis and and not so many connectors. Exactly, like large, like industrial. Exactly, equipment. exactly. Okay, yeah, the content, the balance. Yeah, the better. content yes. is different mm -hmm. because the, the, yeah. the so what are we, what's going to happen in the, uh, the second part of twenty twenty three? You know, some of the some of the negatives right now are basically GDP seems to be slowing a little bit. Uh, North America's GDP is only 1.6%. Europe's only 1.3%. Japan's 1.3%. So GDP is slowing, but so is inflation. Inflation seems to be slowing down. And I guess, again, I already said laptops, flat screens, smartphones, those are all down. So those are the negatives. The positives for the rest of this year in 2024 is that we are in a presidential year. That's always good for the economy. The people in charge generally try to do whatever they can to keep the economy running along. So that's a positive. The next thing is that 2023 is going to be a down year, probably going to be a, at minus 1% in that range. We don't see any big improvement in the second half, but we don't see any big giant downturn either. Uh, and, and a real positive is that since we started measuring the connector industry, goes back to 1980, we have only had two years, two different times in that 43-year span in which connectors declined two years in a row. One was in 2001 and 2002 when we had the dot-com bubble. Uh, that downturn was huge. It was 18.8% one year and 6.8% the next. And, and then during COVID, 2001 and 2000, uh, 2019 and 2020, we had two down years, very minor, very low single digits. So it just still doesn't happen very often when the connector industry has two back-to-back -back years. So that's a positive. We're probably going to have growth in 2024, and that's what we're we're projecting. Also, and how how much growth, Ron? Uh, we we think there's going to be a, a historical average, which is about six percent growth. The industry over a period of time has grown about an average uh, CAGR of 6% since we've been measuring the industry, going back to 1980. That's one of the really important positives, and that is the industry is, is the worst the industry has ever done in terms of consecutive down months and orders is 17 months. We now have had 14 consecutive months of down orders where year-over-year year orders were down. So we see it's not going to – we're not in the kind of environment where – 
this is going to go out and set a new record for uh, industry down months in order. So we think things are going to start picking back up a little bit in uh, the second half of the year. But we're still going to end up kind of flat overall. And we're, we're projecting uh, down 1%. And for next year, we're projecting a, a growth of 5.9%. Nice. Okay. Well, it's good to hear that's kind of come back in line with what the historical average has been in terms of a, of a CAGR. Ron, how big is the connector industry globally? Uh, the connector industry is $84 billion in size. And if you add cable assemblies to it, it's a $150 billion market. So it's a, it's a piece of change. Uh, China, as you might expect, is now the largest region, and they account for uh, 26 billion of the uh, 84 billion, or they account for 30 percent. And North America accounts for about 22 percent, and, and Europe accounts for about 20 percent. So you know you, that's how big it is. It's a big industry, and it's growing. Uh, it's very profitable. And a lot of investment firms want to buy connector companies. The reason they do is because, like in 2022, uh, the industry achieved a net income, that's profit after taxes, of 11.8%. That is huge. Mm -hmm. And a return on investment of 18.5%. Uh, that is huge. And we've consistently, over the last you know, 10 years, the industry has achieved double-digit return on equity. And uh, that gets a lot of peop people's attention. Wow. And it's a growth industry. You know, the last five years, uh, the industry has grown at 6.9%. Uh, so it's a growth industry that's very profitable and has a huge return on equity. And a lot of people want to own connector companies. Yes, I think Steve and I wonder if we're wanting to ask the same question. I go back a little ways. I'm going to say maybe it's just the 90s where we saw, it feels to me in, in retrospect, we saw a lot of consolidation. We sure did. Within the manufacturers, right? I mean, lots in the industry. Is it that kind of consolidation? Boy, if, you know, it's distribution industry. Is it consolidated? It sure has. Uh, but what about the connector manufacturers? Av Avnet and Arrow and, and, and you guys have bought a lot of distributors. And that you can multiply that times two for the connector industry. Yeah. Uh, uh, mergers. We've, we've recorded, since we've been keeping score, we've recorded over 300 acquisitions in the connector industry. 300. And uh, TE, Amphenol, and Molex are probably the most aggressive uh, acquires. And in fact, I often talk about Amphenol and, and uh, say if, you know, I've got pages of Amphenol acquisitions and I got it sitting right here in front of me, pages. And, and I've often say that, you know, Amphenol could probably teach Warren Buffett a thing or two about acquiring companies. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so, so are you, are you predicting a pickup in that, in the, in that activity? Well, I think there'll continue to be acquisitions, but boy, the, the cream of the crop has been picked off. You know, TE, Molex, and and, um, and Amphenol are now buying antenna companies and sensor companies. They're buying technology companies. And Molex has increased their acquisition uh, activities since uh, Koch Brothers purchased them. But it's had a, a, a big effect on the top 10. You know, in 1980, when we first started tracking, the top 10 connector companies were, had 38% of the world market for connectors. 
in 2022, that's 60%. And it's not because the top 10 outgrew the other guys because of internal growth. It's because of acquisitions. Yeah, consolidation for sure. Oh, you betcha. And just it's been dramatic. For example, some of the major acquisitions by uh, by TE, they bought Thomas & Betts, who previously had bought Augat. They bought Maycom, Madison Cable, Elcon, Raychem Connectors, Siemens Connectors, ADC Telecom, Deutsch, and the list goes on. And Molec uh, has not been as acquisitive, but they bought Cardell and Woodhead and FCT. But uh, Amphenol is the, is the star in acquisitions. Uh, they have bought dozens and dozens of companies. And, and they run those companies very, very profitably. Uh, if you haven't uh, acquired some uh, Amphenol stock, I'm not a stockbroker, but I would recommend. <laughs> wow, we're getting stock tips too. Well, yeah. We're, <laughs> nice. And shout out <laughs> to Warren. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Ron, um, as we come to the, to the close here, one more question for you. In, in terms of industry dynamics affecting connector suppliers, are you seeing any trends or activity globally that you can speak to this afternoon? Well, you know, it's the uh, – uh, the migration from uh, west to east of of manufacturing. No, it's not a big secret. Everybody knows that. But I think I can add a little bit of flavor to it. In 1994, uh, China, we in our database, we had China at $38 million in connectors. $38 million. Today, they're $26 billion. It's a compound annual growth rate since the year 2000 of 12.4%. In 1980, all 10 top 10 companies were North American-based, all top 10. Today, there's four. There's one from China and five from Asia, for example. You know, that's, that's all that movement to, the, to China and, and Asia-Pacific. You know, top 10 companies from Asia are uh, Foxconn or FIT, Yazaki, JAE, JST, Hiroshi. So that's... That's been a major um, landscape change in the connector industry, and that's that's the movement from of manufacturing from west to east. But Steve, I think that's over. I think it's over. I I think uh, we're still going to see China being an important part of the connector and electronic space, but the gold rush is over. Uh, I don't think there's a single Western CEO that isn't a little bit concerned about their assets in China because of. The uh, fact that we've got some conversations, uh, our relationships, the West. R- risk tolerance or exposure or things like that are causing them to cons- reconsider, maybe reshore, bring me back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that a huge investment from the West and East is over. I think that the West will continue to support their operations over there with capital, but it's the, the gold rush is over. And, and you know, it's really interesting. In the last five years, uh, North America, defined as the U.S. primarily, but also Mexico and Canada, North America combined over the last five years has had a compound annual growth rate of 8.9%. 8.9. China was 6.8. So North America is outgrowing China now. Kind of an interesting uh, development, I, I think. Yeah. It sure is. So I've read something recently where the connector industry um, forecast for like 2030 was certainly north of $100 million, in the range of $120 billion, I should say. 
Um, I haven't done the calculation of what that CAGR would be, but it's it's obviously an industry that continues to grow as um, the proliferation of connectors finds its way into all phases and, and parts of our lives. And you know, there's some key megatrends I think that are helping drive that. And, and perhaps on future podcasts, you or someone on your team could enlighten us a little bit about those megatrends and, and what's driving the the industry uh, northward as we go through the next decade and beyond. We would be our pleasure. We'd love to talk about technology changes. Boy, has that changed. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. We can talk about the we can talk about some big subjects and we can also drill down on some specific issues. And that would be fun to do. If your marketized subscribers think they found value from this conversation, uh, we'd be very pleased to do it again. We would too. And and I want to thank you for your support. Uh, giving us a shout out today on MarketEye as one of truly one of our cornerstone, if not for you and your contribution. I no doubt that Market Eye would be where it is today, and, and I have to agree. Even even though we own it, um, as premier information database, information thought leadership, there it sure is. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today, Ron, Steve, and thank you to our listeners for plugging in today. I hope you'll choose to listen again when TTI Vice President of Total Quality Kevin Sink will join us as we chat with Product Environmental Compliance and Performance Expert. Mike Kirshner. That's it for this episode of the TTI Distribution Download. For more information on any of the topics you heard about today, reach out to your nearby TTI branch at 1-800-CALL-TTI or visit us online at tti.com.